So, on Friday night, we talked about a bloody gospel. That our Savior Jesus, the God-man, the Son of God, the Divine One, that He took the punishment that was ours to bear. <clears throat> that He was beaten, that He was flogged, that He was bruised, that He was broken, that He was rejected. That He took the chastisement <clears throat> that was meant to be ours, that we deserved. And that instead of the world esteeming Him, instead of them rejoicing in fact that the sinless one, that God himself had come to lead them, to love them, to show them the way, they crucified him. And that's us. That's humanity. That's the depravity of man. So it would be a very sad story. It would be a very bad gospel. We shouldn't be sitting here today if he stayed in the grave. Like that's just horrible news. The gospel means good news. So Jesus just came and he died. That would not caused the gospel to be finished in its fullness. It would not be good. We would have no hope. We would have no forgiveness of our sins. We would have no reconciliation with God if he was just left in the grave. But something powerful happened. We die because we're sinners. But when you're sinless, the grave cannot hold you. The grave cannot hold you. He turned the grave upside down. He rose again in three days. And I want you to hear this. Defeating all our enemies, Satan, sin, and death are crushed by the work of Jesus because he rose again, it says in Romans, he rose again as assurance of our justification. I couldn't tell you today that your sins are forgiven and you are loved and your sins are atoned for and you reconcile to God if Jesus did not rise again. This is not some myth we believe in so we can have a good moral code and gather on Sunday to feel better about a broken life. This is truth, this is reality, that Jesus rose again. And I want you to hear that today, and I want you to believe that today. When you look at that empty tomb, I want to ask you today, because some of you are believers, some of you are skeptics, skeptics, some of you are unbelievers. When you look at that tomb today, do you see a robbery, or do you see a resurrection? Do you see a God who rose again? For your victory because he loved you ferociously and for the glory of his holy name. Or do you see a conspiracy that people have believed in for 2,000 years? So roughly 2 billion people are fools today that believe Jesus rose from the grave. Let me tell you, if he didn't rose from the grave, we should be golfing right now, even though it's cold. Because it's foolish to gather if he didn't rise from the grave. But because he rose from the grave, we gather with joy, with excitement, with victory because our Savior is alive. Amen? And so that's why we're here today. You know, a few years ago, I was, um, I, we were doing a Bible study at the Kelly House. It's a sober home right here in Wakefield. And um, I put my phone down. Back then, I had like iPhone 2. I upgraded just a few weeks ago, it feels like, to finally go to iPhone 6. But I'm sitting there. I'm leading the Bible study. There's about 15 guys there. And I put my phone down. And as I put my phone down, I just start preaching the gospel to everyone. So I get caught up in preaching the gospel. At the end of the Bible study, I can't find my phone. Do you know what I said to myself? They're stealing from the reverend. They're stealing from the minister. I come in, I put down my phone. They got the audacity. I roll up in here and dudes are walking out with the iPhone too. So I got up. I was trying to keep my wits about me, right? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I'm kind of like, I don't want to lose it here and start saying who's got my phone up in here before they start leaving. 
But I said to myself, okay, let me keep it together. And I said, Dave, I lost my phone. There's been a robbery in here. <laughs> Dave, you know Dave's more poised than me. Dave's laid back. Stuff doesn't hit him. I get riled up. My affection goes. Dave's like, okay, we'll figure it out. Let's do it. Dave laid back was like, did you look under the pool cover? And he walks over. He picks it up. And my phone's there. And I felt like such a judgmental sinner. Right? Because I looked at the situation, and I looked at the situation wrong, and I judged it as a robbery, when in fact, everyone actually enjoyed the gospel that night, and many people heard the wonderful good news of our Savior. See, we can look at situations. We can look at things and see them wrong. And today, if you're one of those conspiracy guys just on YouTube, like, it's all conspiracy, I want you to see the truth of a resurrected Savior who loves you, who is coming back again, and who gave his life for you. Please hear that today. Let's turn to John 21 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other, other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus. Head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So that's the text we're going to be going over today. So we're going to try to break that down a little because I think it's important that we understand why we believe what we believe. That we can understand that this is an eyewitness account. That people who actually witnessed Jesus rose from the dead. Like we're not believing in some mythological thing, but we're believing in real history here that changed the course of human history. There never has been and never will be a person like Jesus. He changed humanity because he rose again. Now, why were they at the tomb that day? Like when you bury someone, why would you go back two days later? And let's just understand the history of this a little bit. The why, what the tomb was like, and why Jesus was buried there. So the women, a group of women led by Mary Magdalene, were going back that day to put myrrh and aloe on the body. They revered the bodies of the dead. They would put odors, fragrance, wrap them, wrap each arm, their head, all this kind of stuff. They would revere and respect the dead in the Hebrew culture. So this group of women, their sole thing is we're going back to the grave. They expect to find a dead body. I want you to see this. They're all prepared. They got their gear. They're going to prepare this dead body for like kind of so we can rest eternally dead. Now, why wasn't the body prepared on Friday night? You got to understand, Jesus died around three. He's crucified. He takes his last breath. The Hebrew people, the Israel people, the Jewish people, they stuck to the Sabbath so much, you didn't work on the Sabbath. There was no OT on the Sabbath. 
Like when it was dark on Friday night, all work stopped. So they only had so much time from when Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man, said, let me take Jesus' body and get in the tomb. They had only had so much time to prepare his body in that tomb. Therefore, they were coming back on Sunday. The women were coming back on Sunday to check and finish everything when it came to his preparation for his final burial in that tomb. It was a cave. You know, we think of tombs, you just dig a hole, you throw them in. This was a cave that was hewn out with a big stone on top of it. And if you went in, there was kind of like a stone tablet where you would lay the body fully wrapped in the linens. It was an amazing thing alone that Jesus was allowed to be buried in a rich man's tomb. Joseph Arimathea, who knew Pontius Pilate, who believed Jesus was innocent, allowed Joseph to take the body and really was against the law. Because remember, Jesus was buried and he was killed as a criminal. He was murdered. Only criminals were crucified. Therefore, criminals could not be put in rich man's, rich men's tombs. That was a special privilege for the gospel. He's enjoying the message. It was a special privilege of the, uh, that God allowed to happen that Jesus was brought to this tomb and laid in this rich man's tomb. They put guards in front of the stone. Cause you didn't just roll around and just roll a, a stone away to get into there. The guards were there. And why were the guards there? The guards were there to guard against conspiracy. Because they said crazy people are following him. They believe he's the Messiah. They believe all of this. We have to put guards so people don't come and steal the body. So you have Mary Magdalene goes up to the tomb. She's ready for this. She sees the stone has been rolled away. And what would be your first thought if the stone was rolled away? Conspiracy. Right? Someone stole the body of Jesus, the most controversial figure we've seen in our time. So when Mary Magdalene first looks at that, she says to herself, oh no, there's been a robbery. Someone stole the body of my Savior. She gets all excited. She runs back to Peter and John and says, someone has stole Jesus' body. You can't believe it. What do Peter and John start doing? They just start running towards the tomb. And you've got to love John in the text because John in the text says he outran Peter. Only a dude, uh, you know, writes he wins a race in a resurrection. <laughs> His point was, first of all, he's a dude. Second of all, that he loved Jesus so much that he was just picking up speed towards the tomb. He gets to that tomb and they look in and John's so overcome with emotion that he doesn't, you know when you see something happen and you kind of stand away from it? I'm one of those dudes. Something's going down. I wait till it all settles. I kind of walk on the perimeter and see what's going on. He's looking from a distance and he's trying to figure out what's going on here. Peter, of course, he's courageous. He probably hops right in there, whatever. John waits and then he looks in and he says, this has, this is not a robbery. This is not a robbery. Listen, I've been robbed. My house got broken into and people stole stuff. I remember coming home. I think it's a normal day. I throw my door open. I walk and the whole thing is thrown off. Like we have a thing that comes from the basement. They had just thrown it, kicked it from the bottom and thrown it up in the middle of my bedroom. All the drawers are out. Things are thrown everywhere. Things are missing from the room. And the dude decided to go in the cabinet and take some of my handy snacks. 
Tell me how messed up humanity is. They robbed my house and ate my handy snacks. You've got to work through some issues if that's happening. So I looked at the scene. There's handy snacks on my bed. Things are missing. I knew that it was a scene of a robbery. But when John looks in, he sees the scene of a resurrection. You know what robbers don't do when they rob you? Fold your clothes. <laughs> robbers don't come in and just do laundry. You know what I mean? That, that doesn't happen. They see the scene. Jesus, you got to love. Jesus, you want to talk about confidence? He expected to rise from the grave. Jesus didn't, oh, I'm alive again. Let's do this. He expected to rise from the grave. He had prophesied he would rise from the grave. He got up and folded his head cloth. Who folds the head cloth when they rise from the dead? You and me rise from the dead. We're like, you've got to be kidding me. I got another shot. <laughs> Jesus rises from the grave, folds his head cloth, get everything nice and neat because he's always looking ahead. I want them to know this isn't a robbery. This is a resurrection. It says John looked in and he believed. He believed. He said, this is my Savior, risen. See, they weren't fully expecting him to rise from the grave because Jesus spoke truth in mysteries. And then when it would happen, they say, now I see. When he looked at the temple and said, I take this down and I'll rise in three days. Then they said, that's why he, why he said that. All those things started flooding in. Now it's all making sense. Now I'm seeing by faith. Now I realize what just happened. So some of you, even with that, might say, well, it still could have been a conspiracy because they know we would have been thinking about that. They would have folded the clothes to make us think it. Okay, let me tell you the biggest reason why the disciples believed that Jesus was resurrected. They believed that Jesus was resurrected because he appeared to them. You guys hear me? You don't just go to a scene, think it's a robbery, and then give your life for something. I don't care who you are, that does not happen. Jesus appears to him with the wounds in his hands. He spends time with them. He spends 40 days preaching the gospel to them, sharing the kingdom with them, and then he ascends again. They spend a month or so with him in his resurrected body, and it changes their life forever. I'm just going to read this to you. This is the biggest reason. Real life, true reality account. It says in John 20, 19 through 23, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If, we, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. When they saw this risen Lord, it changed their life forever. Now, when you think about the disciples, do you think Jesus chose a bunch of strong, intellectual, got-it-all-together guys? You would think that if Jesus came to earth, right, he's going to choose 12 guys. These 12 guys, the church is going to be built on. Does he go to the most intellectual? Does he go to the most scholarly? No, he goes to the docks. He goes to the fishing docks. That shows you the kingdom of God is absolutely upside down. He goes to the fishing docks and starts calling out the most rugged guys in the place and says, follow me. These guys are like, what is going on right here? 
He called them when they're cowards. He called them when they're unbelieving. He called them when they're doubtful. He called them when they're sinful. And he called them out. And he said, I'm going to build a church on you. And I want to use an example how the resurrection changed these men and changed the disciple of Jesus who saw him in the flesh, spent time with him, and knew there was an absolute resurrection that defeated Satan's sin and death. Let's start with Peter. Everyone says this because it's the best example. Peter was one of those dudes that thought they would never step down to anything. You ever meet those guys? When I get mad, you don't know what happens. <laughs> right? Now they get in a fight and staying one down like, no, it was a bad day. I need to eat my vitamin C. These one of those overconfident brothers that I will stand up. I'm courageous. I never step down. You don't know how I get, brothers. All of a sudden, a girl asked him, aren't you a follower of Jesus? What does Peter say? Because Jesus is about to get crucified, he's in court. No, no, I'm not. She says, let's give this a second try. Are you a follower of Jesus, aren't you? Not me. This is the one who's saying, no one's stepping to you, Jesus. I'll protect you. A third time he denies. Then the rooster crows. Jesus had prophesied it. This man, who was so overconfident, so courageous, said he would step and take on the whole world, denies himself with a simple proclamation of who he believes. Do you know what happened to Peter after the resurrection, post-resurrection? Pre-resurrection, he's a coward. Post-resurrection, arguably, one of the most bold men who's ever walked the earth. He's going to get crucified for what he believed. You're going to say, these guys were outlaws. When you preach the gospel, you were an outlaw. You didn't get invited to the ceremonies and everyone. You were an outlaw. They bring him and they're going to crucify him just like Jesus. Pre-resurrection, Peter would say, I don't want none of this. I deny this. Post-resurrection, you can't even crucify me like my Savior. You have to turn me upside down because I'm not worthy. Do you guys see the power of that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, changing not only the men of that day, but changes us. Can many of us testify we are not the same person we were when Jesus got a hold of us it changed our whole life? Amen? I am nothing like I was. You are nothing like you were. Now, we're still not perfect. If you're looking for perfection, you're going to be let down every day of your life. But you look back 10 years and say, Jesus is doing something in my life because he rose from the day dead. So now, roughly 2 billion people believe in Jesus. Hear that. 12 men changed by the resurrection with Jesus go out through the world, send people, they're sent, plant churches, on and on again. It changed human history. A robbery didn't change human history. A resurrection changed human history. So I want to just share a few things in application of why it's so important to believe in the resurrection. When you say you believe in the resurrection, you're saying you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You're saying you agree with his identity, who he says he is. Do you guys know why Jesus was crucified? He wasn't crucified because he was given to the poor. He wasn't crucified because he was given nice teachings. He was crucified because he said he was God. There's no middle ground. We said this a bunch of times. Either Jesus was an absolute lunatic, because crazy people... You're crazy. If you, you tell me you're God after service, I'm going to say, listen, we got to, let's set up a counseling session. We got to work through some stuff. If you say that you're God and you're not God, you're an absolute lunatic. 
But when we believe in the resurrection and Jesus was killed because he claimed to be I am God, we are proclaiming and saying with faith that we believe in the resurrection and we believe that you are who you say you are, Jesus. That's the most important decision you will make in your life. If you haven't decided on how you feel about Jesus, decide today. Do you believe he rose from the dead or you believe in a robbery? If you believe he rose from the dead, you are saved. God has a plan for your life. You are forgiven. He's calling. He's reaching out to you. He's drawing you. And I want you to hear that today. You need to hear that. Faith in the resurrection overcomes death. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus assures that our sins are forgiven. And because of that, we are reconciled to God. If Jesus did not rise, like we said earlier, everything he spoke and taught was untrue, especially his declaration that he's able to forgive our sins. Now, let's use Mary Magdalene as an example. Mary Magdalene was most likely a prostitute. Mary Magdalene had seven spirits that Jesus had to deliver for her from that oppressed her life. Jesus comes. He says he delivers her. He calls her into his kingdom. He says, go and sin no more. And he says she's forgiven. Do you understand how revolutionary that was at the time? You didn't forgive prostitutes in the days of Jesus. That didn't happen. But Jesus was bringing a new kingdom. We said, everything you've done in your past, Mary, they've judged you, they've tried to stone you, you are worth nothing, you amount to nothing, you're not loved by God. He said, God loves you because of who I am and your sins are forgiven. You understand that impact it has on a person's life? If he stays in that grave, everything he said to her was not true. But when Mary Magdalene in another text realizes that Jesus has rose from the dead, all of that rings true to her. And she says, everything you said, my sins are washed away. I'm washed white as snow. I'm innocent before God. I'm loved by God. You are the Messiah. This is powerful stuff. When he rose from the dead, that says he is alive. Now, Mary didn't understand that beginning. She was crying so much. And in that day... It was considered, you were looked down on if you looked a man in the eyes. So Mary Magdalene is crying, and she sees the gar- she thinks it's the gardener. She's crying, she thinks it's a robbery. Jesus is standing there in the garden, like, Mary, relax. She's crying, she can't see through her tears. Culture tells her she can't look that man in the eyes. And finally she hears him say her name, and it hits her, and she says, Rabboni, my teacher. You're alive. Do you understand that? You know, this is called the, I always tell the story around Easter. It's the parable of the tick. All right? I hate ticks. I hate ticks with a passion, man. My daughter, Karen, when she was younger, was like a magnet for ticks, man. I'd bring her to the car. We'd be taking three ticks off her. Saturday morning, family day, relaxed Sabbath. Let's do this. Kira has a tick on her eyelid. Natalie responds with the most beautiful response of screaming and panic. She has a tick on her eye. I run out of the room. I'm thinking eyeball, dead center, trouble in paradise. It still was trouble in paradise, but the tick was here. Talia responds with the most beautiful response in history. She decides to lie on the kitchen floor and scream, she's dying. She's dead. So I walk into the room. Natalie's picking it up, panic, tick on her eye. Talia's yelling out, she's dead. She's dead. And I said, listen, 
I'm concerned, but everyone's got to relax up in here. <coughs> it wasn't until Natalie ripped it off her eyelid and Talia came to her senses. She was like, you're alive, Carrie, you're alive. That's the same thing that happened to Mary Magdalene that day. She came to her senses and said, senses said this wasn't a robbery. This was a resurrection. Everything you said is true. The gospel is true because of the resurrection. And finally, the resurrection means that death has no sting for all of us who put our faith in him. Is that beautiful? That's beautiful. No fear of death. Don't let death bother you if you believe in Jesus. You know, I went to a... First of all, I remember when I was younger and the first time I went. Do you remember the first time you realized there was death in this world? I was, I was about six years old, and um, this, I'm going to share this with you guys so you understand. We all understand the, the weight of death, but um, my mom went nine months with a pregnancy, and she had my brother Caleb stillborn. And that was the first time I was ever at a funeral. And I remember going to that funeral and not, you know when you're trying, you're young, you're trying to comprehend death. And you're sitting there, and I, I'm, I'm at the funeral, and I couldn't really understand. You're telling me that a baby has passed away. There's been death. I just, you know when you're young, that the world's just so, it's an adventure. So when you get confronted with the reality of death, and I remember thinking in the frame, like, does death win? Do you know what I mean? Does death win? For all those who believe in Christ, death does not win. Do you guys hear me? That's what's defeated in the resurrection. All of your loved ones who have put their faith in Christ, you will see them again in paradise. Right? That's the beauty of the resurrection. I can give my life. I can put myself in harm. And even if I lose my life, I know I'm losing it, but I'm gaining much because I'm in the arms of my Savior. I don't have to fear the loss of my children because I know that they're in the arms of a loving, compassionate, merciful God. So death is not going to control me because the resurrection directs my life. Amen? These are the things you have to understand. As Christians, the resurrection means we've overcome death because our faith is in Christ. So, Restoration Road. Live in that truth. Your God is alive. He is watching over us. He is coming back again. You will have eternal life because of the resurrection. Let's rejoice in that truth today.